0: So, Bill Cosby has a comedic routine that I won't try to completely duplicate um, because I am not Bill Cosby in so many ways. Um, But he has this monologue called First Parents. And after creating heaven and earth, God created Adam and Eve. And the first thing the first parent said to the first child was, Don't. Don't what? Adam replied, Don't eat of the forbidden fruit. Forbidden fruit? Really? Where? Well, it's over there. And God was wondering why he didn't stop with the elephants. A few minutes later, God saw the kids having an apple break and goes and says, why did you eat that fruit? Didn't I tell you not to eat the fruit? And Adam says, "Uh uh-huh. And then why did you do it? I don't know. And so God's punishment, Cosby concludes, is that Adam and Eve should have to have children of their own. We are in a series titled Identity Theft, where we are are looking at the identity that we should have, the identity that we do have as believers of Jesus, as followers of His. Um, we are created in a certain way and we have this identity, but there is an enemy that comes in and tries to steal that identity. And um, how many of you have ever had your identity stolen in some way? Do we have any victims of identity theft? We've got a few, several here, who, who somebody uses your credit card number, or somebody uses your social security number, or, or someone steals some piece of your identity, and then you are left to piece things back together and try to get the things refunded and try to get the credit score restored. Identity theft. It wrecks havoc on our life. If you weren't able to see, or if you weren't here last week, we'd love for you to go on our website and listen to it, or, or watch the video on our Facebook page, so you can get caught up with this series. It's going to be four parts, and we're in part two today. But we're going to start off by looking at Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to start at the, at the beginning of this first identity theft, Genesis chapter 3. Verse 6 and 7. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together to, and made coverings for themselves. So we've got this story. It's, it's a common Sunday school story. The this, this story of Adam and Eve and, and the command not to eat of this forbidden fruit and their choice to eat it anyway. That, that the devil shows up as a serpent and comes in and deceives them. And they make this horrible decision. This decision to disobey God and this decision to eat of the fruit. But for us to really understand the effects of this event, the effects of this choice, and and the consequences that even today we still wrestle with, we have to go back to the very beginning, where man is first created, and man lives in this unclouded, perfect relationship with God, a relationship that is not tinted and skewed by deception and lies but a perfect relationship with him. Adam was a magnificent creation. It was the pinnacle of of God's work through creation. It was his capstone. It was the perfect image of God. And he was designed to reign on earth with authority and with power. So let's flip back to Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. We have here this this first picture here where God creates man in his image. that it, It is in his likeness. It's a representation of him, it's a duplication of him, it has his DNA, this idea of of being in the image of God, and it's our image. In John chapter 1, we we know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and so we have this image here that, that God and the Spirit and Jesus are here in this place, and man is formed out of that The template for humans is God. Continuing on, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in numbers. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we have Adam here that is created in the image of God and the likeness of God and and the presence of, of God and the Spirit and Jesus all in this moment. And a very clear charge is given to Adam to rule over the world. There is a command to rule. There is a purpose to rule. And so Adam is given this very distinct responsibility to rule over the earth, to rule over the creatures, now, what does that word rule really mean? To reign over here. And, it, and have we really been able to live that out? The call for Adam was to have control over what is now wild, control over what is not domesticated, an ability to, to rule over things that we have absolutely no control over today. But we have this vision here of who. <coughs> Adam was designed to be. And then down in verse 31, God wraps up the busy day and says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Each day of the week of creation, God creates something and says it is good. And then he gets to the creation of man and says it is very good. That God is very pleased with what's created here. God is very pleased in what happens here. And there is a uniqueness and a perfection in what is going on here. Chapter 2 gives us a little bit more detail and retelling of the story. Chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put... The man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So God takes this ball of dirt and forms it into something. And with his breath, breath gives life to nothing. What was nothing is now something. Which, something that was was formless now has shape. Something that is dead is alive. Bob Hamp in his book, um, Live Di- uh, Think Differently, Live Differently, gives this illustration for this story. Imagine that you go into an emergency room. And in this emergency room, there is someone on a gurney. And and as you are in this this room, you realize that this person is dead. They're no longer living, and, and they lay there as a lifeless form, loss of color, no movement, no breath. If you've seen a dead body, you, you know just the, the, the difference between living and dead. And so here lies this body with nothing. And as you're in this room and, and you, you go through all the emotions of what it's like to encounter a dead body, maybe it's grief or shock or sadness or, or fear, all the emotions that, that roll into this as you encounter this body, you realize that something else changes in the room, that a, a wind comes into the room. And it's not just a wind that shakes things up, but it's a wind that is is somehow visible this wind that is thick in the room this this wind rests in this room and there's a slight glow to it maybe like the the heat waves off of a road on a hot summer day that there is a presence here and this presence comes over this body and this presence rests over this body and before long you see that the wind and this body are now becoming one that the that the, the wind comes down on this body and and combines with this body and and changes and and fills it up and the two become one and then what was a dead body starts to have color to it it begins to change and then there's a gasp for breath and then labored breathing and then this body begins to breathe and gets up and stands and is fully alive. The breath of God comes in and becomes a part of this person. And now this person, in its uniqueness, this person in its um, unique personality, fully alive, is not completely separated from the source of life. There is a source of life within this body, a source that gave this body life. And so we see the story of Adam, something that is dead. And one little verse that we can skip by, the breath of God fills this body. The breath of God brings this person to life. And now this person has the source of God within it, the breath of God within it. What a powerful image as we think of the breath of God coming in and giving us a source of life, the breath of God giving us a new reality. What was dead is now alive, and now we have a new identity based on that source that's within us. Adam has a very clear purpose, and his purpose is to reflect the glory of God, to reflect rule over the land to be fruitful and to multiply and in this call in this charge given to adam he showcases god's glory his intellect his free will his emotions all show god's character but then a new character enters the story satan comes in in the form of a serpent and comes in with with lies and deception Adam and Eve are given the authority over the earth, but if, if Satan could steal that authority, if Satan could deceive them and rob them of their God-given identity and their God-given purpose, then he would destroy man and be able to reign over the earth himself. And see, so he comes in maliciously. Maybe it's a computer virus that comes in and steals your account number. It's something that comes in under the radar, under, under your awareness, and comes in and starts nipping away at your identity, starts, starts pulling your critical information to be used against you. And Satan, being the father of lies, twists and distorts the truth and will find ways that are not obvious to you to confuse you and to distract you, to, to cause you to lose The reality of who you are, that source of life, that breath of life that's in you, becomes stolen. Adam and Eve had been given such great authority. But then he says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. The serpent is talking to Eve and says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the serpent takes some of the truth and manipulates the truth and twists the truth and implies that Eve's identity could be something far greater apart from God. If Eve would make the choice to separate herself from God and and change her identity, then her identity would be something far greater. This is the lie of Satan. The lie that says if you will separate yourself from God, you can be something better. If you will separate yourself from the reality of who he is, then you can be greater. But these are the lies of the enemy that rob us of who we're supposed to be. But Eve traded her God-given identity with the serpent's lie. And this robbed man of his true self-worth, his true identity, By eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they ingested a new input. As opposed to the source of life that comes from God, they have ingested something else. It's a new source of information, a new truth for them, a new reality for them, but it's an inadequate source. It's an inadequate source. The the lies are all around us. The culture around us wants to tell us that there are other truths that we can all just get along, that we can have multiple views on this, that there is no one reality. Culture around us tells us that you can be Hindu or you could be Christian, it's all the same. The culture around us tells us that everything is relativistic, but those are lies that come in from the enemy and start to break down the true identity of who we are, the true identity of who we are in Jesus. Satan is actively at work today. He's at work in our universities. He's at work in our schools. He's at work in social media, all telling us something that's not true, telling us that God is not the true God, that you too can put yourself in the place of God. You can make the choice of what is true and what is not. You can make the choice of what is good or not. The enemy is at work. Here's an example in McGee's book, um, The Search for Significance, he talks about humanism. And if you're especially in a university setting, if you're college age or, or in an education type place, listen to this. Humanism is the central philosophy of our schools and society. It teaches that man is above all else that he alone is the center of meaning, teaching that man has meaning totally apart from God. Humanism leaves morality, justice, and behavior to the discretion of the enlightened man and encourages people to worship man and nature rather than God. Rather than a spiritual and emotional being, man has been classified as merely a natural phenomenon or to, of time plus chance not greater than rocks animals or clouds this idea of human, humanism is so prevalent in our society the idea that that we are individuals that can make our own choices of morality we can make our own choices of truth and with that we we begin to make our own choices of morality and justice and behavior we can accept those things and we can't speak truth into those things because humanism tells us that we each have our own role to do that. The identity that we have is not an identity rooted in Scripture. It's not an identity rooted in the truth of God, but it is identity rooted in our own selfishness. And it encourages people to worship man and nature rather than God. We live in a place here in, in New Mexico where this becomes such a reality. This idea of of intermingling things, intermingling the worship of nature, the the intermingling of of the Native American traditions and the Catholic traditions and and all of these traditions that have all come together where we have sages and we have have gurus and, and we have spiritual places. You walk through the airport and and you are greeted with the sun god spread out over you as you walk through the airport. The very symbolism, the very emblem of our state is, is an emblem of the worship of nature. And so we live in a place where the lines get so fuzzy of what is real and what is not. The enemy has come in and done so well, has done so well at confusing us as to where the source of truth is at, has confused us of where the source of our identity is at. Paul speaks to this very thing very clearly in his introduction to the letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what what has been made so that people are without excuse. From the beginning of time, creation tells us the reality of who God is. Creation tells us the greatness of God. Is that something that's under attack? Is that something that the enemy has been able to undermine in our schools? To say that creation does not reflect who God is. That it's just a made up story. But creation tells us who God is. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles flying in the air over the airport. Therefore... God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth. They exchanged the truth about God, the objective truth about God, for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. In the beginning, God's design for us was to be identified as one who reigned over the world and reigned with him. That we are co-heirs. We, we are his children. We are to participate in his business of running this place. But we reject that identity and take on the false identities of this world. We choose to trust in our own successes. We choose to trust in our own understanding with our own smart thinking. We think ourselves to be wise, but we're actually quite foolish because we we take, on, we take on the philosophies of the world and abandon the truth of who God is, abandon the reality of who he is. There is a truth, and it is not an objective truth. All creation, all earth points to God, points to God and his truth. But since the fall, man has failed to turn to God. Failed to turn to God to find the truth about who we are. Instead, we look to others. We look to social media. We look to the internet. We look to experts. We look to documentaries. We look to gurus. We look to sages. We look to all these different things, trying to figure out who our God is. And we become the blind leading the blind. When the truth is right here, the truth is right here. We are not what others say. We are not what the serpent whispers in our ear. We are sons and daughters of God, created in his image. Created in his image, with his breath in us. His breath fills us and gives us life. What incredible power there is in that. If we could live out a life knowing that we are designed by God for God's purposes and given his source of life, his source of energy. We have a power plant that is embedded in us that is just explosive. It is explosive with power if we will learn who we are if we will learn who God has designed us to be, and if we will live in that, we have such incredible power. We have power to control and reign over the things that are wild. We have power to reign over the world that is untamed, because that's what he's given us and what he has called us to do. Last week, we looked at this triangle here that, and talked about names, the names that are given to us, the names that we give ourselves, and the names that shape our identity. And our identity comes from these names, and our behavior comes out of this identity. And and the enemy wants to attack each and every one of these spots, wants to attack who we are. He wants to attack the name child of God. He wants to attack the name image of God. He wants to attack the name image bearer filled with the breath of God, filled with the Spirit. If he can attack those names, then our identity is broken, our identity is lost, it's manipulated, changed, hijacked, and identity has been stolen. But we have to see in this next triangle that that the name is really about the Father. Our name, our identity comes from our birthright, is the one who created us. A Father created us. None of us were raised by the, the, the one true Father. We have fathers in our lives that have raised us. That's not our real father. Our real father is the one who made us, the one who breathed life into us, the one who who knitted us together out of a ball of dirt and breathed life into us, breathed life into us, and created something that looked like him, that behaved like him, that talked like him, had the same facial features, had the same genetic makeup. He duplicated himself into us and gives us life. Well, the fall really messes us up. We live in a world that is fallen, and we're under constant attack of real new threats of the enemy who is so creative in finding ways to destroy our identity. In the same way, computer hackers and and identity identity thieves come in and find new ways to get your information and pull out of your email and, and, and trick you into some phone call or some chain email or, or some poor guy who's in Africa whose wife is dying and needs you to send him money. Whatever it is, they find a new way to get in and the enemy finds new creative ways to come in and still kill, and destroy. And we have to be on guard. We have to be on guard. But Jesus... Jesus comes in and fills in the punishment that we should have received for that fall. He comes in and gives us that life back. He comes in and gives us that breath back. He comes in and gives us the power and the inheritance and the identity that we're supposed to have through a life in Jesus. We're able to restore our identity and find out who we really are. Next week, we're going to look at, at a lot of the common lies that the enemy uses to steal our identity, the, the techniques that he uses to come in and get in. But each week as we wrap this up, I want us to, to continue to look back at the truth of Scripture, of who we are. And I read these last week, and I'm going to read them again this week, and I'll read them again next week. Because Scripture has so much to say about who we really are. That regardless of the names that you've been given, regardless of the names you've given yourself, regardless of the hurts that you've experienced, the rejection that you've experienced, the the damage you've experienced, regardless of any of those things, regardless of the lies that you have believed, there is a God that loves you through that no matter what. He will love you through that no matter what. There is no one too broken to receive the love of God. This is who you are. This is who you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are a child of God. You are part of the true vine, a channel of Christ's life. You are Christ's friend. You are chosen and appointed by Jesus to bear his fruit. You are enslaved to God. You are a son of God, a daughter of God. God is spiritually your father. You are heirs with Christ, sharing in his inheritance. You are a temple. You're a temple where the Spirit of God dwells. You are united with the Lord You are a member of Christ's body. You are a new creation. You are reconciled with God. You are a saint. You are God's workmanship. You are a fellow citizen with the rest of God's family. You are righteous. You are holy. You are a citizen of heaven. You are hidden with Christ in God. You are an expression of the life of Christ. You are chosen by God. You are a son of light and not of darkness. You are a holy partaker of a heavenly calling. You are one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. You are a member of a chosen race. You are a member of a chosen nation. You are a member of a royal priesthood. You are an alien and a stranger in this world, and it's a temporary place that we live. You are an enemy of the devil. You are a child of God. You will resemble Christ when he returns. You will be born of God and the evil one and the devil cannot touch you. You are not the great I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Our true identity, those are powerful. Those are not weak people. Those are powerful people. Those are people who transform the world. Those are people who make a difference and make an impact on the people we work with, the people we go to school with, the people we see day to day. Those are a people of God who know who they are. Let's be standing. We're going to spend some time in prayer, and this is a time for you to pray with one another, or it's a time for you to come and receive prayer with, with one of our shepherds who will be down front or in the back. Uh, maybe this stirs something up in you. There, there is some lie that you have believed. There's something about who you are that, that is not the truth of who God says you are, and we want to pray for that now. Uh, but maybe you have not yet taken those steps of faith to say, Yes, Jesus is Lord. And today's the day that you want to make that decision. And you you want to take on Jesus in baptism and say, He is Lord of my life. However, we can pray together, let's do that now um, as we sing this next song let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for um, our identity that is found in him. God, I thank you for the forgiveness that we have, that, that no matter how screwed up we are, how many mistakes we make, that you are still there ready to pick us up, ready to welcome us into your arms. And so God, I pray that you convict us, that you challenge us, that you inspire us, that you show us what it means to be your child. God, for all the lies that we believed, I pray that you break those today and that we will only see truth, that we will see who you are and who we are in you. God, we give this prayer time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.